You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, Jesus fed the 5,000 in the wilderness by the Sea of Galilee, and then, maybe only a few weeks later, He's here with the 4,000 in a more remote location, feeding them. And we have both of these miracles every year. I think there's some great wisdom in this, that we meditate on these texts, because through these texts, the Holy Spirit is fighting against a temptation that we all have to become too spiritual. And this is what we want to consider this day. Now, the extreme case of being too spiritual, we hear all the time when people say, I'm spiritual and not religious. I'm still not sure what that means. And in fact, I don't think most people who say it know what they mean. <laughs> Sometimes I think behind that statement, I'm spiritual, not religious. So people are just saying, I'm too lazy to call myself an atheist. <laughs> but if there's something behind the cliche, perhaps it is this. The person who is spiritual but not religious wants a God with soft edges. So you're really not sure where creation stops and God starts. You're not sure where, where your own ideas stop and God's ideas start. To be spiritual and not religious means that you believe that there's a God, but you don't know that God's name. In fact, that God probably doesn't have a name. In fact, I think this is the test that I want to suggest. The next time you hear someone say that they're spiritual but not religious, ask them first if they believe in God, and then if they do, ask them what God's name is. And then call me and tell me what they say. I, I want to know this. Because I think this is the point, that, that God doesn't have a name. And certainly God doesn't talk if you're spiritual. At least not in any sort of objective way that can be written, written down. Because as soon as you have scripture, you have a religion. Like Judaism or Christianity or all of the world religions. Now this, I think, is the biggest advantage of being spiritual but not religious. And that is that there are no rules. At least there are no rules for you. You might make rules for other people. But if the Spirit is talking, it's inside of me. And it just so happens that the God of the spiritual person happens to agree with 100% of the things that I already think. <laughs> so that being spiritual, but not religious, is simply another uh, form of the parasitic anti-theology that we call Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism is as old as the Garden of Eden, and it'll be the devil's basic false teaching until he is cast into the lake of fire. Gnosticism says, and this is painted with a very broad brush, that the spirit is basically good and that the physical stuff is basically bad. Salvation belongs in the spiritual realm, and the physical realm has nothing to do with it. Or, perhaps, the, the physical realm is fighting against your salvation, and you have to fight against it. Now, Gnosticism, you say, thanks, Pastor, what we wanted is a history lesson on Gnosticism. You're welcome. <laughs> Gnosticism, historically, 
has worked itself out in two seemingly contradictory directions, practices. There's asceticism on the one hand and hedonism on the other. Now, asceticism is the practice of denying the body. Fasting, living out in the woods, not being married, things like this. Now, you see this kind of ascetic Gnosticism with a lot of the Buddhist practices, and especially the Buddhist monks. They've committed themselves to a life of ascetic practice, which is just a form of Gnosticism. But Gnosticism can just as easily go the other direction. Since the things concerning my body don't matter, then do what you want. Indulge your desires. Eat whatever you want. Drink however much you want. Smoke whatever you want. Lie down with whoever you want. All these things have to do with the body, and that's different than the spirit, see? My physical life doesn't have anything to do with my salvation. That's Gnosticism. Now, our society, I think, is mostly swept up in this form of hedonistic Gnosticism. In fact, the debate about homosexual marriage is a Gnostic debate. Like this, does the body matter when it comes to marriage? Or is it only the spiritual quality called love that should, should define what marriage is? The question of gender identity is a Gnostic question. You see, if I'm a Gnostic, then my body cannot determine for me something as important as my gender. That's a spiritual quality. And if my body doesn't match the gender of my spiritual self, then my spirit will in fact fight against my body, attack it, change it, mutilate it, have surgery or whatever to make it match. Now, this is the extreme. But it hits closer to home with us with the simple idea, the simple Gnostic idea, that the things that I do with my body do not affect my spirit. That's Gnosticism. And that's a lie. Now, it's especially true when it comes to marriage and the Sixth Commandment and sexual morality or immorality. So Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person commits a sin against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. There is a connection, dear saints, between our chastity, both inside and outside of marriage, there's a connection with our chastity and with our faith. Now, this is somewhat mysterious. But you see it especially when young people leave the church. Very often it's connected with sexual immorality. Or at least it's a fighting against God's law, which is putting a limit on my desires. Now, to the church, there's a form of Christian Gnosticism that has crept into the, a number of churches and their theology, and it looks like this. If a thing is physical, then it has to be law or a work. If it's outside of me, it's a law or a work. The realm of God's activity is limited to my heart. So that many churches, and no doubt you've been to visit with family or friends, you've been to churches, that have, and the pastor has asked you, if you feel God moving in your heart, or if you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, 
Many churches are training people to find the assurance of salvation in their own heart. It's all, you see, all the activity is on the inside, and anything that's on the outside is law. So these same churches, out of the same logic, have taken away the comfort of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered about this. I think this is a profound mystery, but it starts to become clear when we, when we understand Gnosticism. We look at the Bible and the passages about baptism, for example, and we read 1 Peter 3, baptism saves, or, or Mark 16, who believes and is baptized shall be saved, or, or Galatians 3, in baptism you put on Christ, or all these passages that are so fantastic and, and talk about baptism and salvation and connect them to one another. And then we go to talk to our friends about baptism, and they say stuff like, baptism has nothing to do with salvation. And we wonder how they could read the same Bible we're reading and come to such a different conclusion. Well, the answer is that this is Gnosticism at work. Because if baptism is outside you, says the Gnostic, if it's physical, if there's water there and action and moving around, then it must be a work and it can't save. And the Gnostic brings that same thinking to the Lord's Supper. You have to come up here to the altar. It's something you do. You take bread and wine. It's stuff so that it must not have to do with salvation. Do you see the Gnostic logic? Against this, we see that not only did the Lord make the world, but that he also uses the physical stuff of the world to save us. I mean, most most fundamentally and profoundly, Jesus took upon himself human flesh and blood from Mary so that he has part of creation, his body, to be nailed to the cross and laid in the tomb. And this same Jesus who, who was in the flesh to save us, excuse me, I got a cough. I got to turn off. You don't want me to have the mic on for this. In Jesus, who takes creation to save you, has bound up his body to the bread and his blood to the wine with his promise of forgiveness. Or he takes water and he puts his promise in it to bring us salvation. We confess this and we know this. But we too are also not immune from Gnosticism. It's, it's really the native theology of our sinful flesh. It's always around the corner, trying to take us away from the truth of the Lord's Word. And I think it comes to us, at least I want to consider this morning, that it comes to us when we make a distinction in our mind between churchy things and everyday things. There are spiritual things that have to do with heaven, and then there's the day-to-day -day grind that has to do with our life here. So that, so that there's a wedge driven between the forgive us our trespasses and give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus can take care of the forgiveness part, but it's up to me to take care of the daily bread part. Now, this is kind of a practical atheism, and, and maybe I'm the only one guilty of it, but I think it, it's, it, it tempts all of us in our heart. And it's the thing that the Holy Spirit wants to get after in the gospel reading. You see, in the text, the disciples believe that Jesus can save them from the wrath of God, but they're not sure if he can save them from starving in the wilderness. 
but from a storm at sea. Jesus has the afterlife covered, but what about the this life? The answer is, he's got that covered too. Jesus is not only here to forgive our sins, he is also the one who gives us daily bread. And really, when the corn grows in the field or the sun comes up in the morning, it's because Jesus, your Jesus, tells it to. And he's answering your prayer for daily bread. Now, this is what St. Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you see that because you are a sinner, you have deserved nothing from God, nothing good at all. We should be conceived straight into the depths of hell itself so that everything that the Lord gives to us, from the forgiveness of our sins to the next breath of air that we take to the, to the next heart to the next beat of our heart, to the, to the bite of bread or donut after church, to whatever. A roof over our head, a way to get to church. Every single gift that the Lord provides us in this life, He provides because the wrath of God has been turned away by the death of Jesus on the cross. So that everything in this life comes from the one who loved you to die for you. So we think, I've got big problems. The Lord will take care of those. I've got small problems. I better take care of those myself. Repent, you Gnostic. <laughs> Repent. Jesus has it all handled. He's got God's wrath handled. And He's got your lunch handled. He's got eternal life handled. And He's got your sickness handled. He's got the resurrection handled. And He's got you getting to work on Monday morning handled. He's got it all. He's the one who hears your prayer for forgiveness and your prayer for daily bread. And He loves you. And He loves to answer that prayer. God be praised. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 
Adult Bible Class, and Youth Sunday School at 10.45 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.